everybody. So we are very excited today. We are here to talk about the third and fourth episode of season two of Star Trek Discovery. It is, they're called Mother and then an Obal for, for Charon <laughs> in, in uh, this season. And uh, I'm here with my friend Tom to talk about uh, the episodes. And uh, so thanks so much, Tom, for coming on and talking about this. Hey, it's good to be here episodes were pretty interesting i you know we were i was really pretty excited about the first two episodes would you agree with me that these weren't as good as first two um yeah yeah short answer yeah uh my my long answer is more complicated but um yeah yeah okay good well that will definitely we'll dive dive into it so yeah it's uh it's i don't know it's an interesting uh they went some interesting ways i wasn't expecting let's put it that way at least but um yeah so episode three uh it um it, this one is very this is basically a klingon full episode and um we have laurel and uh tyler uh that you know because tyler is not really tyler it's Vok in tyler's suit basically <laughs> um kind of yeah it's weird yeah yeah uh and i don't know it is weird is the word that i would use it's very strange um but we have uh we have a couple different plot threads going on here um but it starts out with uh we have uh laurel and tyler and uh that basically everybody in the klingon world kind of is dismissive of laurel thinks laurel can't lead because she's female uh that she can't unite the klingons and that also because she has this relationship with this human you think about laurel i guess in this episode um well I, I actually looking back i appreciate what they were trying to do with this episode because um if they want the klingons and laurel in particular to be to, to continue to be a part of the story it needs to be there needs to be a, uh, a logical world built around her and the decisions that she makes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, or at least a world that, that kind of makes sense. Um, one thing I found in my rewatch of, uh, of season one that I found a little odd was that she takes over the Klingon empire based on holding a gun to the home world's head. Basically. Like she says, I've got a huge explosive. I'm in charge now. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and I can destroy the whole world if you if, if you don't let me be in charge. Well, Klingons may respect strength in that way, but that's you're not exactly going to get a mandate out of that. You know what I mean? Um, that's not exactly. A, you you also kind of need the consent of the governed, right? You need a, a bit of a coalition to help you. So she kind of starts with none of that, and in this, she figures out a way to get one. Right. So I, I, I appreciate that they recognized that there was a bit of a problem there mm. and solved it. That's true. That's true. And uh, how does it, this all sort of gel with the Klingons in canon up until now? Um, okay. Yeah. There's a, I could, I could go on for quite a while about this. Um, <laughs> as you probably noticed by now, Star Trek fans are pretty, feel pretty strongly about the Klingons. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so they kind of start off as like these 
wily, uh, uh, wily kind of um, crafty guys with Fu Manchus and, and sort of dark skin. And they're they were kind of meant to just represent the Russians, right? Sort of our, our Cold War adversaries. And um, later in Next Gen and in, in the movies, they kind of come, they, they develop the idea that they're a warrior culture, right? So that mm -hmm. their default position is fight. Um, and, you know, sort of the opposite of the shadow of the of the Federation. Um, so it makes them a good a good rival. But um, they're 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 they they their aesthetic kinds of being ends up kind of ends up being like a biker gang, um, mm -hmm. or like they're very hairy and growly and and shouty and stuff. Um, and uh, of course, there's the Klingon language, which has been developed into a real thing. And um, you've got you know devoted fans who learn it and you know perform Shakespeare plays in it and the whole thing all right so that's just a kind of a thumbnail sketch of where mm -hmm. we've been so far I feel like what they're trying to do is take all of that all the things that there are certain aspects of the Klingon uh persona I guess and turn it up um you know they take some of those sliders and, and push them even further up um the more the warrior aspect and more the alienness of them which on one level, I appreciate like the look of them uh, is a little bit inconsistent in the sense that, um, you know, last season we saw them hairless and we're used to seeing them very hairy. Mm. Uh, and that put a lot of people off. Um, also, the, the makeup was just more detailed. There was more going on with it. Um, and uh, right. So that, that puts some people off. But the I think the other side of that coin, which I think is working out well in this season, is that um, you were getting them in in such a way that they're yeah they're still really alien and they it's still really off-putting. Mm -hmm. I think there was a serpentine quality to them as when they were hairless that I liked and didn't. I'd never seen that quality in Klingon culture before, where they were kind of like snakes. And which I'm you know what I can dig it because the original series Klingons, which are my favorite. The crafty guys, right? The, mm -hmm. the schemers, um, who would look at, look for any advantage they could get. Um, we've got that. We we have that in this season, um, and they're not always just banging on about honor. They have I, they have plans, right? And they uh, conspire against each other, and um, that strikes me as really consistent with being really consistent with Canon. And you say everything is just turned up higher because we can get more violent. We can have more elaborate, um, you know, fight scenes, which I, I enjoyed the fisticuffs in this one. Um, and, uh, the, the stylized violence and stuff was really cool to me. I, I had a good time watching all that and I'm really slow. They're slowly seducing me into loving these Klingons. Mm. Like, Hmm. I, I'm loving how just ru unbelievably ruthless they are compared to humans and how they just don't hesitate. And, and, and also just the fact that the craftiness is coming back, <laughs> that some of those are those things that I like about those old original series Klingons are, is back. And that's fun to see. Very, very interesting. So the uh, the vault in the vulture recap, uh, it's uh, Devin Maloney's the author's name. He says, uh, kind of interesting. His recap. He says, uh, not yet in all this time, not a single Klingon, not one mentions the word honor. Honor is literally all Klingons ever talk about. How many times did the Enterprise? 
crew go out of its way so Worf could fight somebody in order to defend his honor. Uh, and then he gives some examples and uh, talks about uh, that, uh, that uh, some different examples. And uh, he says, uh, he says, without question, the most casually unklingon string of decisions I've ever seen a Klingon make on a Star Trek show, including marrying a trill, Lorel could have campaigned on that that alone and won the other house's loyalty. Uh, that uh, so uh, you know, it's it, what do you think about that? Do you do you, do you think that they've? Do you I see think, that with honor? I think the I think a lot of fans are are dramatically overestimating Klingon ethics. Um, okay. For one thing, for, you know, one, one of the reasons that Worf was such an interesting character is that he was so very ethical. But he was, and he, and he was, he was a guy who made himself more Klingon than Klingon, right? He was super Klingon. He was, he was aggressively Klingon. But here's the thing about Worf: he was raised by human beings in the Federation. Oh, okay. Um, and. <clears throat> And yeah, he may have a different, and so he brings a different perspective to Klingon honor and ethics uh, that ends up being in conflict with, with the Klingon people he encounters in his career. Um, because he finds, when he, when, when he goes to Kronos, he finds people who are willing to accept a lie in order to maintain power, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because the, the right people are involved, right? And it turns out Klingon honor isn't what he thought. And his, you know, he, he still is a believer in Klingon honor, but it, it's a Klingon honor that really, he's not self-aware self of this, but it really it's a Klingon honor of his devising. We've got to stop judging these Klingons by worse ethics. Okay, stop mm, it. Because these are not worse Klingons. Okay, mm. this is 100 years before that. This is in a completely different time period. And we're talking about, like I said, we, you, you don't want to be looking at next-gen Klingons to, for comparison here. You want to be looking at TOS Klingons for comparison. Mm. Okay, interesting. All right, very cool. Uh, so then we find out that, uh, that Laurel has this baby uh, that she had had with Vok. And it's like a test tube baby kind of, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, raised uh, or uh, grown outside her uterus yeah yes and uh so uh Lorel tells uh cole i think is that uh he needs to remove the paint from his face what was all of that about i was a little confused about that that um he has like surveillance paint like something like yeah. that on his face yeah so apparently the house of core is really into having paint on their face mm -hmm. and um since they are an honor culture, there's that word again. Um, Tyler understood, Tyler Valk understood that in order to really insult um, this guy from the House of Core, I don't remember his name now, Cole or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, or Cole's father, I guess. Uh, he needed to like, get in his face and, 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 and smear the paint off of it. Mm -hmm. and right as a just an act of like um sort of like when people used to challenge each other to duels and they like slap each other with a glove or whatever <laughs> like i think that's kind of that what that gesture meant but again we've got the crafty klingons here because that was the, the paint itself was full of nanotech that was a listening device yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, you also have Tyler talking to Burnham. He's able to uh, to beam uh, higher, uh, over to her and get some advice about what she should do, I mean, what he should do. And uh, did that surprise you at all? Or what did you think of that whole conversation? I mean, it, it sort of made sense. They kind of, I felt like they needed to reconnect a little bit um, mm -hmm. because they were obviously special to each other uh, in last season. And so we needed to like, we, they didn't want to just leave that hanging. I think they want to do more with that. I guess we'll see where they go with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it so, also obviously compromises Tyler and it, it makes him suspect in the eyes of, um, uh, the people the realm is sort of courting to become her coalition and her supporters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they end up getting the rel and Tyler end up getting captured and she's kind of manipulated to sign over her chancellorship. There's a tablet kind of, a, it looked like an iPad kind of thing. And she has, mm -hmm. she has a yeah. press unit. And uh, then we get the return of captain Giorgio uh, mm -hmm. on here uh and she's she's working temporarily kind of with the federation uh and this is of course like uh evil it's giorgio this is the emperor giorgio version yeah. <clears throat> um and uh there it's the idea of she's like she's kind of a it's kind of working with the it's like a suicide squad kind of a thing we're going to work with the with the bad guys because they can get us a uh, uh information kind of a sort of a thing uh, going on and uh what did you think about giorgio um I'm, i guess we'll kind of see what they do with her um it it's um i think she I, you know first of all it's fun to see um uh her name escapes me now the actress michelle um, yo michelle yeah yes it's really fun to see her uh play in anything because it I haven't seen a ton of her work, but what I've seen, I've liked. Like, there's just nothing of hers I haven't liked. Um, mm -hmm. So she's just fun to watch. And, um, yeah, it's it's interesting that they're bringing Section 31 in. That's something that kind of comes from Deep Space Nine, and it's sort of been worked into canon with Enterprise as well. Um, and it's basically the Federation's spy agency that tends to work outside the typical ethical guidelines of the Federation yeah it's it's like a spy thing right it's how they can yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so the, the, the basic idea is that when it comes to the security of the federation the ends justify the means and that's that right um and in those other shows they would recruit uh our they try they would try to recruit our regular heroes into helping them uh because of some special skill or other that they had and now yeah. it looks like we've got a regular who isn't bound by Federation ethics and is actually pretty eager to to kick butt and take names uh, just for the fun of it, let alone, you know, national security. She doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's just there for a good time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we have this whole, also this whole sort of plot of that uh, they the Klingons would never accept a woman uh, and it, especially with a human torchbearer, they call it. Uh, do you think that the feminism, now we have Klingon feminism, we'll also talk about Tilly, their sort of feminism arc in this episode. Do you think they laid it on too thick? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I, there are some interesting, I mean, if, I don't know. I didn't feel like that I was getting messaged to death or anything with it. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. And so basically uh, they, uh, Giorgio kind of saves, saves them for her own kind of use, I guess. And they mm -hmm. end up taking the, um, the, they end up cl claiming that uh, Tyler and the baby are dead, but they're really not. They basically take the baby to like a, a monastery kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then um, they, uh, I forget where they send Tyler at the end. I can't remember, but, um, but anyway, the, the Rel's able to kind of claim that look how, how true to the Cleons I am because I gave, you know, my, my own, my own baby yeah, i was you know mm -hmm. gave up for for you and so she wants to be called a new title be called mother uh and um and then basically yeah then tyler gets this job in section 31 so that's that's a kind of the the plot there i don't know it was just a little i guess because i don't have a whole lot of experience in, with klingons the whole thing i don't know just felt kind of weird to me it was just like it just wasn't. It was a real. It was a real tonal shift from that what we've seen so far this season. I'll I'll, mm -hmm. I'll grant you that, and that's why I'm kind of going. Yeah, maybe these weren't as, uh, so hot because the tonal shift was so drastic. Mm, yeah, I don't know. It was just like, ooh, I. It was just so weird to me, but um, but yeah, it, it now that we talk it over, it's it's one of those things. Maybe I, I, I like it a little bit more. But while I was watching it, I was just kind of like, ugh, I didn't like it. But yeah, I, I, you know, I find that with our conversations, typically that I, I like it better <laughs> after after we've talked about it. So yeah, you know, that's interesting. I, I, I could do the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, so we also have Tilly during as this sort of b plot uh, going on they did have a lot going on in this episode and one of the things i listened one of the critiques or whatever that i i listened to he was he was saying that in a classic star trek you just had a, a major a a plot and then you had um a smaller b plot which is classic television um and here they definitely at the very least have sort of an a b and c plot do you think mm -hmm. it's it gets a little muddled, a little convoluted? Yeah, there's a load going on. I, uh, even the you know the 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 good one of these two right there, the the one that that mm -hmm. is a little bit more consistent with the tone. I see, yeah, there's still a bit of like, whoa, there is so much going on here. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, they they pack a lot in. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have Tilly. Uh, she's in this command training program. It was a little cheesy i think at the beginning because she's running a half marathon and she she doesn't look like the greatest athlete in the world tilly um but somehow she not she she stops and has this whole conversation with this spirit that we'll talk about but she still despite doing that she still wins and not only wins the half marathon she sets a course record <laughs> that's kind of like mm, probably not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've heard whispers in the fan community that she's kind of a Wesley. Um, uh -huh. You know who I'm talking about? Wesley Crusher. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, Wesley's kind of this teenager on the. For those that don't know, Wesley's this, this teenage character on Star Trek: The Next Generation. 
he was kind of a, a Mary Sue character, and I'm not being derisive about that. He was kind of a Mary Sue character for Gene Roddenberry because he shared Gene Roddenberry's middle name. Uh-huh. Right. So it, it was try, Gene Roddenberry trying to insert himself on the show, kind of. And of course, he's a genius, right? Yeah. And for a few seasons there, it felt like it started to feel like every other episode was Wesley saving everybody in spite of being a teenager. Yeah. So um, he was seen as kind of obnoxious. Now, as you know, at seven and eight, I absolutely loved Wesley because I wanted my avatar to be on the show, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be on the show. I wanted to be in that world. So I had no problem with him when I was a kid. But anyway, that sort of sets the table for now it kind of looks like, oh, look, Sylvia Tilly is brilliant and a teenager. And that's interesting, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it does... Uh, make the show maybe feel a little bit heavy-handed in the feminism too when you have kind of all of these perfect characters who uh, i mean uh burnham doesn't really make very many mistakes aside from her original uh you know mutiny but that was all for these good causes uh and then you have tilly who is setting course records and uh and then you've got laurel who is uh, and there's not there could be a little bit more nuance to some of these female characters um i don't know i feel like there's there's plenty of nuance um Mm -hmm. and yeah but here's the thing though too you have to understand when it comes to sexism star trek has some dues to pay Uh um right yes they had the first female lead with janeway great good job but um they also have had some really problematic things next gen did not treat its female characters all that well of the two, one of them was always in the background, and she was Wesley's mom. That was mainly how she was known. The other one was always a rape victim. Like, she, she had almost nothing to do, and when she did have something to do, it was usually because she was a rape victim, either, you oh. know, psychically or somehow or another. Right? It was not good. Hmm. It was not good at all. But um, I, I think... Some so. female I, leads that, yeah. they, they, like I said, they've got some dues to pay. Interesting. I mean, I, but I think that uh, Yahura was, uh, was a, she was a character, I mean, I, I haven't watched every single episode, but I watched most of original series. And I feel like she was a groundbreaking character without, with a, without necessarily kind of mean, meaning to kind of be groundbreaking, if that makes sense. Like she had her role and she was just, uh, sometimes that makes it more groundbreaking if you can have a female character that's just like everybody else. He gets the same treatment like everybody else. If, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. I, I can see that. Uh, the thing about that is that she didn't really get the same treatment as everybody else. I mean, she got about the same treatment as, as Uhura and Chekhov in the sense that mm-hmm. there was never really an episode about her. Um, like we never really got one. She kind of was just answered the phone in the background. There wasn't a lot to her mm-hmm. um, in in the in that in that early show. But yeah, I mean, what one thing I've always liked about the way Star Trek does the diversity thing is that they just say, "Here it is," and it's a thing. And they're not they're not yeah. necessarily you know preaching at you about it. And like, well, say thank thank goodness this is better than the old days when you know you don't get that speech. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the only time, you know, with Captain Janeway and Voyager, the only time anybody ever brought up gender was because they ran into some sexist alien who didn't want to deal with a woman, right? Mm-hmm. But on the ship, it was just like, 
Yeah. So like no, no one thought twice about it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting thing uh, to, I don't know, to think about. Uh, so anyway, back to, so we have, <clears throat> so we have Tilly. She has seen the ghost of her friend May. Now this is a friend she had from junior high school um, wouldn't she see May as a younger child if that's how she knew her? Was that odd to you at all? Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, that is weird. But I mean, it's it's alien jiggery pokery too. It's it's like <laughs> yeah. it's you know an alien's messing with her mind, and she wouldn't listen to. Uh, yeah, on one level you're right, but on another level she wouldn't listen to a teenager um, or her teenage friend. She wouldn't, like, at first, Tilly just accepts May's presence in her life. It's just like, oh, hi, uh, crewman number two, whatever you, whoever you are. Like, oh, that's a good idea, crewman. Like, she's just seeing this, this woman in a Starfleet uniform. And then, and then it's when she uses a, an old familiar nickname that she goes, wait, May? Like, is that you? And then she looks, and that's when she looks her up and realizes that she's been talking to a dead woman. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, i mean there there's there's quite a number of incidents like if she's training for this command program and she ends up basically like chewing out the captain and uh it and she's yelling at this being that none of them can see and all this stuff going on uh <laughs> what did you think about all of that that was pretty intense oh yeah i mean i, I felt bad for her but um, something that occurs to me that's also really cool about that is that um, even if there was a mental health issue, she gets treated and she's okay. Like it's treated like any other health issue. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like, Oh boy, that's a nice future. I'd like to think about, um, you know, a, a future where mental health doesn't carry the stigma that it does now. Yeah. That's a good point. I thought of that. That's true. Uh, so is, do you think that, so we've had scenes with Stamets seeing Colbert having mm-hmm. these visions. Do you think that's the same kind of thing going on here? Yeah, it- you know, it's possible because he's having, having a conversation with someone in that, you know, he had Colbert prompting him at the end of season one saying, find the path in the forest, right? He's trying to look at infinite paths through the mycelial network to get home. And somebody, Colbert? prompts him and to pick the right one mm-hmm. right so it's like yeah so is he talking to the other side or was he talking to an alien who was taking on a form that was familiar well and isn't uh doesn't tilly know about this these sort of visions that uh that uh doesn't tilly know about these visions that's that stamets has been having so i would think she would go directly to talk to him about it when she starts seeing but she kind of keeps it to herself i don't think she does all right no i don't think she does know about it because um stamets has been very moody about tapping into the network in the first place right i remember that in that in Mm -hmm. the prior episode he leaves and she's like what's wrong he's like i don't want to talk about it but isn't the whole reason that she has the infestation is because she was trying to save Stamets from the... Well, no, like a spore landed on her shoulder at the end of season one. And I, I, have, I happen to remember that. I mean, oh, they're setting something up there and this is what they're setting up. But it's, okay. I don't think it has to do with... I don't, no, I don't think 
Stamets has been has been forthcoming with her about how he managed to do what he did. That is between uh, we get Burnham ends up her mother ends up coming on the ship Amanda her name mm-hmm. and uh, she they she wants help to try to get Spock's medical records uh, but Captain Pike doesn't want to allow it because he needs permission to make this request and. Uh-huh. Uh, basically we find out that Spock has murdered three of his doctors and escaped. And, uh, how do you feel about this? Uh, I mean, they're, I feel like they are setting up Spock as this person who has all of these feelings and is really conflicted and everything. Whereas I feel like in the other shows then the other things i've seen spock he's very guarded with his feelings he doesn't even really have very many feelings um does this feel like a spock that you know and love does it does it do you feel like they're hurting uh your spock as far as character what do you feel not necessarily i i think that uh it, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see because we haven't mm-hmm. seen spock yet Right. We don't, and we don't know if Spock has actually done any of these things yet. We, in fact, some of the characters even say, that doesn't sound like Spock, right? Mm-hmm. That, doesn't, that doesn't sound like the Spock we know. Um, in fact, I think that's a conversation that Pike and number one have in the next episode. Um, they're like, that doesn't sound right, does it? Right? No. Right. Add up. Um, yeah, Spock killing is one thing. Spock being emotional? No, that's not completely foreign to the character at all. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, you know, we've seen, well, we've, we've seen Spock, Spock has his reasons for things. And uh, he uses his logic and his emotions in ways that suit him. Um, but his, his aims are always the best. Like his, that's one thing that's consistent about Spock is he's a hero, right? His, his intentions are always as excellent as possible. Um, even if he may make an error, although that's rare, he's usually spot on. But his his actions may seem perplexing to the people around him, either because he's completely unemotional or he's too emotional for a Vulcan. Uh, but there, it always adds up to something important or something good, right? So in 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 the next generation, um, Spock is an ambassador, and he runs off to Romulus. And, you know, Starfleet is worried, is he defecting? Holy crap, he's running off to hang out with our enemies. What's going on, right? And turns out he's trying to make peace. Mm. And he's having to do it off, you know, without permission. Uh, because Starfleet and the Federation weren't going to give him permission to run off to Romulus and help an underground to flourish and then try to make peace. So he's like, well, screw it. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's a very logical character. He so uh, right now, at least, we are seeing all of these things that are supposedly done out of kind of rage or out of these feelings, as opposed to logic. Uh, but are you assuming that they're going to kind of provide that at a later date? Some of that logic. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. I, I assume that they will. And the thing is too that like. Um, that, yeah, we've seen Spock rage before. And in fact, there have been occasions when Kirk has tried to tap into Spock's anger for a particular mm-hmm. reason. Um, so the anger's there and they, they, the feelings are there. It's just a question of how he deals with them. And he's going to be a little bit uh, a little bit left of your average Vulcan as far as his emotional control. 
And that's one of the things that sort of torments him is that this, he's got this human half warring with him. Yes, yeah, he tries to be you know, like war. If he's trying to be more Vulcan than Vulcan, he's trying to be super Vulcan. And his human half is conflicting with that. Mm, interesting. What do you think of this whole red angel thing? It's cool. Um, I, it's just, a, it's, I see it right now as just a mystery and mm-hmm. an interesting way to address belief and religion and interpreting different things and, and, and also questioning your own beliefs, which I think is kind of neat. So mm-hmm. cool. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So let's move on to episode four. Uh, this is an Obel for Ch- Charon. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we find out that the, uh, we get introduced to uh, number one, played by Rebecca mm-hmm. Romain. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this a character that you've seen before? In- yeah, if you watch the original, um, if you watch the, actually either the cage, the original pilot, or um, the menagerie part one, one and two, you, uh, you see Pike's first officer on the Enterprise is a dark haired woman referred to as number one. And in oh, that okay. series, she was actually played by Majel Barrett, who became later Majel Barrett Roddenberry. She married Gene Roddenberry. And she's kind of um, Star Trek's founding mother, if, you, if it has one, in the sense that she was there from the beginning. She married Gene Roddenberry, and she actually played the computer voice in all the series through uh, Enterprise. Um, and... Hmm. Uh, uh, also played like Nurse Chapel and Loaxana Troy, who was Counselor Troy's mom. And I mean, yeah, she's just been all over the place in Star Trek, that actress. But um, that character is kind of unexplored, right? It's kind of cool that, that, you know, right off the bat in 1966, there was a female first officer. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. You know why they changed that? Because the fe- the ladies in the focus group said, well, who does she think she is? Interesting bossing huh. people around and being the first officer so they responded negatively to it yeah <laughs> yeah that's interesting huh yeah so from the uh, star trek's very earliest history they tried they were trying to give you know to some extent they were trying to give women this uh you know elevate women in in this future and portray them as being just as capable as of, of leadership as men um but it was sort of the world wasn't ready <laughs> hmm. that's interesting so, yeah 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 interesting so I, all I, right I yeah so um so just so the ship they start tracking spock's warp warp signature there's this they've been tracking all these seven different uh um lights seven different planets and uh there's one so it's this giant sphere that is a crystalline entity and it's basically the idea is it's, it's a super ancient molten rock that is alive that's actually has like and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the um of the genesis uh p- planet um in um in star trek three reminded me a little bit of that a little bit um so uh then we find out so basically this giant molten rock this giant uh planet ends up infecting the universal translator uh what did you think about all that how all that happened that was good fun it was kind of cool because we've never seen a glitch like that on any show um Mm -hmm. where everybody's yeah you just screw with a little bit with the computer and suddenly no one can understand each other 
and also kind of a fun retcon because um, uh, that prompted Pike to, you know, because here's the here, let me tell you a little bit about the turbo lifts, all right? Because you'll mention uh -huh. someone says in passing, oh, if we can, if, if, if we, we can't understand each other without the universal translator, we can't even run the turbo lift. Well, here's the interesting thing about the turbo lift. In the original series, they didn't operate the turbo lifts by voice. They're operated with a handle that you grab. So um, later, Pike becomes a fleet captain, like a Commodore, and he has a say as to how all the ships operate. Having had this experience, don't you think it might cross his mind to replace the voice activation in the turbo lifts with like a handle? Right. So, you know, and, and we also sort of get in passing where Pike's like, I've had it with the holograms on the, no more, no more holograms on the Enterprise. We're just going to straight to good old view screens. It's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> so right. we're kind of retconning a little bit, right? So yeah. the, the differences. Interesting. Yeah. And so basically it's also interesting. This, this whole episode was kind of a, a, uh, a, it was kind of Saru's, uh, moment to shine i guess for lack of a better mm -hmm. uh so we find out you know that he knows 94 languages and so he's the one that's able to kind of pull things together uh with all this with the translator being down and mm -hmm. uh but he's not feeling well and so that's kind of becomes our one of our other um uh plot lines through the episode and uh, so basically, the reason why the the universal translator and uh, and there's this UV light that that the mm -hmm. sphere is putting out, this is his this is their attempt to communicate uh, with the uh, with the discovery and uh, that the these screaming about their legacy that they they uh, they want to be remembered and uh, we find out that um there's sort of they, they call it the this the it's their galaxy's dead sea scrolls that mm -hmm. the um sphere uh that has a thousand years of detailed information from the sphere of what's happened hundred thousand hundred thousand years oh hundred thousand okay and uh so that was all pretty interesting the idea of sort of it also kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, like ego and his plan in um, uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume oh, yeah. Two, <laughs> reminded me a little bit yeah. of that. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, it was interesting. And uh, the they yeah they find out that there's this relationship between using the mycelial uh, drive and uh, and this planet, and that they whenever they use it they impact this this whole region more than they thought well see, this is what's confusing i don't think it the 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 entity that took over tilly and poses her old best friend from school that uh -huh. is different and apart from this this being they encounter that messes with their translator Oh, is it? Okay. I may get yeah. confused. Yeah. And okay. see, this, this, this is where, yeah, they may be trying to do a little too much in these episodes. Like, so, so this is not part of the mycelial no. network? No, this has oh. nothing to do with that. They just, they just got sucked out of, they got interdicted in their path. You know, they got pulled out of warp um, by this thing. And it, it has nothing to do with this or drive. It's just 
a thing that's out there and it's dying and it's trying to pass on its legacy. Oh, see, for some reason, I thought that they were part of the reason why it was dying. No, no. It's just an old oh. thing that was dying. Yeah, they oh. didn't kill it. Um, it's just, it just stopped them. And it was trying to pass on what it knew. Okay. But yeah, so basically the information that the sphere is giving them is kind of like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was, yeah. uh, which allowed them to be able to interpret hieroglyphics and, and, uh, and other ancient languages uh, when they found it. It's kind of similar to, uh, with this, you know, that they're able to, because of Saru, he knows all these languages and because of, uh, the things that the, the hundred thousand, I guess, uh, uh, amount of information also, uh that um he included in all that information is tracking uh for spock so they uh they uh they're able to get closer to finding what where he um they get the coordinates for for where he um he was last seen i guess or where he is so that's that so that's all pretty interesting and then so then we also get this plot where continuing on with tilly so she is still dealing with this uh mycelial alien and uh they decide to drill a hole in her head um so that this creature can speak and that's when we find out that the spore drive jumping has destroyed uh portions of the mycelial network and that the these these organisms are angry and want to get even or upset yeah and i um i don't know if you like david bowie or at, at all or not but yeah that, my heart glowed in that scene i loved that <laughs> that was yeah. really great yeah it was that was really fun see uh sing star man uh when uh <laughs> it was a, it was actually space oddity but yeah uh, it was yeah. kind of cool to just to, to see that um david bowie's work lived on <laughs> yeah that was fun and uh so yeah basically then they stamets in uh reno which was nice to see her again uh yeah. they they're able to get her free from this organism that's like this giant blob at this point but then she ends up getting kind of sucked back in and that's kind of left uh left there so uh yeah it's 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 it'll be interesting to see what happens with all of that um so then our another storyline we have going on here is suru is not feeling well and uh he turns out he has this thing called vahari which is this illness his people have that uh that like pre prepares them for when they're going to die Mm -hmm. and he has these ganglia that kind of sense death and uh and so uh then the uh which they've been in some pretty tense situations so i'm surprised this hasn't come up before uh sure it has. but yeah it has yeah, it has? It has. Oh, yeah they for, talked about it a lot in season one yeah um in in fact when michael burnham comes on board the ship his threat ganglia extend <laughs> Because, you know, at that point he hates uh -huh. her, you know, because he killed, oh, she killed so his no. captain and so on. No, they did oh. all that in season one. Yeah, that's, that's been well established. Oh, sorry. I must have missed that. But it's anyway, okay. and so, uh, so yeah, so he's, but he's uh, really sick and he mm -hmm. thinks he's going to die. And he has 
he has Burnham cut his uh, ganglia. And the surprising thing is that when she does that, he actually doesn't die, but is healed by it. Mm-hmm. And so, and evidently this whole Vahari thing is something that was brainwashed uh, for the uh, Kelpians uh, when they're enslaved. Um, and it's kind of just kept on through all these uh, generations. And mm-hmm. so, I don't know, that was, what did you think of all of this, this whole, this whole scene? Now that was really interesting. Um, honestly, though, I what what I have a bit of a problem with is that I almost feel like one of the short treks is required viewing in order to really fully understand what's going on here. Uh-huh. Um, I, so, did you see any of those short treks, the short, uh, the little fifteen-minute episodes? Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, so, if you see, you remember the one with Saru in it? Like it's uh-huh. it's all about Saru and his backstory. I feel like this yeah. episode leans a lot on that backstory. Um, okay. Yeah. And that if you don't understand that, you may not follow. I don't know. Maybe someone who hasn't seen it can correct me. But, um, uh-huh. but yeah, I mean, I like that a lot. Um, and, but I, and it is interesting to see that, oh, Saru can't just turn his back on his people now. Now he has a reason to go home. So, you know, they're, they're opening more possibilities for conflict and interest and, and I bet, you know, I, I, here's what I think is going to happen. He's going to have to, he's going to go home. He's going to try to convince his people that um, they don't have to keep doing this. They don't have to keep sacrificing themselves. In the process, he's going to run into his sister, a woman he's, uh, is, he's assumed he's never going to see again. Uh-huh. Um, and it's going to get interesting, right? It's going to get complicated, which, you know, that's what you want from a story, so. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that would be. Your I thought Doug Jones was great in this. I thought you really felt. I mean, it felt pretty emotional. Like we, I mean, there was a second where I started to think, is he? Did he? Is he getting written off the show? Like it was right? pretty convincing. Yeah, they had me going. Yeah. yeah, they had me going. I think he did a good job because, I mean, I could believe that for whatever reason he needs to be off the show, and so he's gonna like it, it's more believable that a character like him could be killed versus obviously like Burnham's not gonna be killed. You know, there's certain. Uh, it's kind of like when uh, in Doctor Who when the Doctor is uh, threatened. You know, you're never really that worried about her because or yeah, him, yeah. Uh, because you know it's the doctor obviously but if it's a side character like this then it's a little more believable and so uh it um i don't know i just thought it was a pretty compelling scene probably my favorite of anything that either of these two episodes no yeah and it was kind of sweet to see that tender moment between the two of them where michael is usually so composed just loses it she just can't believe that he's really gonna die she just can't handle it like I, I liked mm-hmm. seeing that crack in her veneer a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there we go. That's basically the two episodes. Uh, and yeah, I think my favorite was the Ennoble of Sharon. The mother one was just a little weird to me. I, I don't know. I, I yeah. Don't here's like the thing about that episode as, as on, on further review, like, cause I'm sort of thinking about it. I'm realizing that I had some English classes when I, you know, I have an English degree. I had some uh-huh. classes where we would have had a field day with this episode because uh-huh. we, we talked a lot about 
feminism and femininity and domesticity versus public life and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Well, here what we see with Thorell is her giving up her swearing off domesticity. Her yeah. lover and her child are heads in her hands, right? It's, that's it. So in order yeah. to be the chancellor of the, of the Klingon Empire, she has to completely forswear uh, any domestic life or future whatsoever. And there's an interesting parallel there because what you often find with, with powerful women is that at some point they had to kind of make a decision between their family and their work. And, mm-hmm. and many women still find that, they, that they're there. Like they, they're either going to become Hillary Clinton or they're going to be mom. Yeah. You know, and they, they yeah, it's true. And even if you do try to, you know, swear off, you're either, you're still seen as either the beauty queen or the bitch, you know, one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very hard to be taken kind of seriously. You're either Sarah Palin or you're, uh, or you're Hillary Clinton, you know, one or the other. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's interesting. And, and not only is uh, she having to be masculine, but her, yeah, her, her, swearing off of her baby is what makes her have that you know that klingon honor that uh that it's it gives her more validity for her ruling uh yeah and suddenly suddenly she's legitimate yeah yeah like you really sacrifice this so it will be interesting to see where it all goes uh in uh, the next two episodes so yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always it's always really fun to uh, you know I take these notes and uh, it's always really fun to talk it out and um, and uh, I always end up appreciating it more after hearing your point of view. It's really cool. Um, yeah, so yeah, so um, where can people find you on uh, online and follow you on social media and all that fun stuff? Um, on Twitter at Almona Roboto, on Instagram at Tom Gun Poet, and um, yeah great and uh, you can find me at rachel's reviews on itunes and youtube if you can put in your uh ratings and reviews on itunes if you're listening down there we really appreciate it and if you're listening on youtube just give us a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel and that would be great and uh yeah thanks so much and we will talk again in two weeks thanks rachel look forward to it okay bye bye now